Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. We start today with a major update on the now decades-long effort to replace and expand the I-5 bridge across the Columbia River. Last week, members of Washington State's congressional delegation announced that the project was awarded a $600 million grant from the U.S. Department of Transportation. It is a big chunk of money, but it's just a fraction of the total cost of the ever-bigger project. Troy Reynoldson is OPB's Southwest Washington Bureau Chief. He joins us with more details. Welcome back to the show. How's it going, Dave? Doing very well. Thanks for joining us. It seems like there was some drama and a lot of uncertainty about this federal grant. What were officials in the Northwest expecting? Yeah, it was a pretty interesting week last week because we really had, uh, we'd been hearing that the grant was coming, but we also didn't really quite know how much the grant was going to be worth. And I think that that's an important piece of context here because the price of this bridge is on the low end going to be $5 billion and on the high end, $7.5 billion right now. And planners are really banking on $2.5 billion to come from the federal government. So when we talk about these federal grants coming in, this being the first federal grant, there's a lot of interest in making sure that how, how much of that $2.5 billion that we hope can we actually pitch in here. So a lot of the folks I heard from last week were actually hearing behind closed doors that it was actually going to come up short, like maybe even half. We were expecting, uh, there was one lawmaker who just told me, not a lawmaker, sorry, but somebody in a lawmaker's office, they said that we've been told to expect to be happy with any number that begins with three. So um, I did manage to ask Washington Governor Jay Inslee on Friday what he'd heard. And this is what he had to say. Is that 200 to 300 number what you've heard? I want to ask that very directly. No, I, I have not. I don't have any secret intelligence from back rooms on this. Uh, all I can tell you is I think we've made a very strong case. And we've got an administration that, that understands the importance of multimodal transportation. So I hope for the best. Yeah, so lo and behold, it actually ended up being the full $600 million that planners had asked for. So what did you hear from various elected officials on Friday in response to this news? There was, as you can imagine, there was a lot of celebration from the politicians involved. You mentioned that the announcement came from three Washington delegates. So they came out and, you know, they put the announcement out. They were very celebratory. They wanted to lay out how they brought home this money. And I think it's important to note because the last time we talked about replacing a bridge over the Columbia River, they those talks never got out of the state houses in Olympia or Salem. So federal agencies never committed any funds this way. Um, when I talked to Washington Senator Maria Cantwell, she helped write the grant program itself. And she says that she was confident that they would bring this money home because so much of the federal funds, so much federal funds were up in the air. And this project seemed to be kind of tailor made for this grant program. Here's what she had to say. It's, it's kind of like this bridge was the poster child for some of the other infrastructure problems in the United States. And it kind of represented the kind of projects that weren't getting done in the past. And so when we were working on the infrastructure bill, we said we needed a new category of funding for projects just like this. And so we very much 
had it in mind, if you will, it became a model for the national program. So to her, too, I also think that this kind of speaks to the hope that this program is going to be a viable contender in future federal grants as well. Um, And locally, too, there was celebration. Vancouver's mayor Ann McInerney Ogle told me that she was practically dancing in the streets. So $600 million is a lot of money, but what's the estimated cost of the bridge right now? I mean, the number I had been seeing was $6 billion. Then a few days ago, the AP reported that according to some members of Washington's delegation, it could be closer to $7.5 billion. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mentioned earlier that they're they're using a range right now. So $6 billion is the number that we've been reporting. It's uh, a likely figure that planners are really trying to aim for, but it's also an approximation. You know, they're they're ranging it between five and seven and a half billion dollars. Um, but it's a good question to ask because the project has already gotten more expensive. It, just last year, as recently as 2022, we, planners were telling the public that it could cost between 3.2 and 4.8 billion dollars. And now we have already had seen this really large jump. So in the context, $600 million does seem like a kind of a drop in the bucket. But I think, you know, this is all pretty numbers heavy, but I, it's important to remind folks that planners have already, they, they're basically assuming that we've committed $3 billion already, right? So $600 million isn't a ton, but it brings us up over $3 billion that we've already got committed through state funding and forecasted revenues from tolls. All right, so let's turn to that stuff right now. I just want to remind folks, though, if you're just tuning in, we're getting an update right now on the effort to build a larger, seismically resilient I-5 bridge across the Columbia River. The project recently won a $600 million federal grant. So where does state funding from both states stand right now? So uh, Oregon and Washington have each pledged $1 billion towards the project. And They've done those in recent years. Um, They were both effectively viewed as like down payments for the project. Uh, Washington went first uh, because famously it was the Senate Republicans in Washington who refused to pay for the Columbia River crossing and effectively killed it. Um, And they put their money down in 2022. Oregon agreed to put in their own $1 billion earlier this year. Um, And if you talk to, to planners, I think those are important milestones. They needed to have this state funding ready to go to show that they could clear the hurdles that they cleared last time. And now they can take these to federal agencies and say, we have skin in the game and we're ready for federal dollars too. All right. But the back of the envelope math says there's still what hundreds of millions of dollars missing. So where might the rest of that money come from? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's a, it's a good question. There are there's two federal grant programs that they're really eyeing over the next year. One of those would be actually significantly larger than the grant that they just received. They applied for a $1.5 billion grant as well. And so I don't think we're expected to hear about that till next year. But so it's likely that that would also be another big windfall that comes our way. And then another grant down the road that's going to cost or bring in hundreds of millions of dollars. So I think based on that math, you're kind of looking at a pie chart where you're hoping that federal grants that are large and really well-funded through some of these huge congressional acts that have gone through in recent years, that those will be able to put in a significant amount of money towards the bridge. And then that pie chart 
of state funding and tolls. I think the hope is that to keep those as as thin as possible, because those will effectively have to ask or act as sort of a backfill. You know, they'll have to adjust based on how much federal funding we get. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting question of how much are we going to rely on tolls in the long run? How much do we expect planners or this project to have to go back to lawmakers in Oregon or Washington and say? This is what our numbers looked at and where we ended up after going through these grant processes. And now we may or may not need more funding or to adjust our, our models. Hmm. Well, can you remind us what lawmakers in Olympia and Salem have agreed to in terms of tolling? Well, so both states have agreed to tolling uh, in and of itself. Uh, drivers crossing I-5 will have to pay tolls uh, probably before the bridge is actually breaking ground because they want to start collecting that revenue you know, as soon as possible. But there are a lot of questions that have to get sorted out before tolls can really can, can actually come to fruition. I mean, we're talking about how much are tolls going to cost and, and when will that start date uh, come? And so the cost function, I've heard that it could be between $2 and somewhere closer to three fifty. But again, we're still waiting to hear that information. Now, are officials talking about a flat rate of tolling, meaning drivers would pay the same price all the time, or congestion pricing to incentivize some drivers to cross at less busy times and thereby reducing congestion, speeding up the the time that people would take to cross? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's it's kind of the same, a little bit of the same answer where it's going to be a little while before we know this. I mean, specifically what we're waiting to hear from is a planning study, a tolling study that's supposed to get done uh, sometime in the next year. And that's going to shed a lot of light on the actual mechanisms of how the tolls will work. I do know that there have been lots of conversations like federal delegates. I think it was Earl Blumenauer who was a big proponent of variable rate tolling rather than flat rate tolling. And of course, there's also been a lot of discussion around, you know, when you have a flat rate like that, how equitable is it? And that conversation, the conversation around ensuring that there are caveats in place that allow low-income families to use this without being um, hurt every time they're trying to get to work or what have you, those conversations are really strong as well. So I would imagine that we'll have some clarity on that too once that tolling study comes out. And then once the, you know, forgive me if this is all pretty bureaucratic, but once the tolling study comes out, the next step that we'll be waiting for is it'll be the transportation commissions of the states, the, the, those bodies, not necessarily the project itself that will determine what that toll ends up looking like. I should just say, you know, if people don't want to hear about the levers of bureaucracy, <laughs> don't listen to this show. And also, it's the kind of stuff that you will care about when that bureaucracy affects you. So, so pay attention now, <laughs> is what I would say for the stuff that matters, because it all matters. Um, all right, let's 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 get back to the, the bridge. I mean, what does this project actually entail? I mean, how much can we even say in response to that question right now? Uh, it's a good question. Um, it's like it's not just the Interstate Five Bridge itself. It's also the bridge that connects Portland to Hayden Island is also part of this project. Uh, there's a segment of Mill Plain in Vancouver that's also a part of this project. There are seven interchanges on either side of the river that are also part of this project. I mean, it's a it's it's not just the span or the two spans that are crossing the river. That's for sure. Is there an agreed upon design? It's amazing because so much 
is in flux, I would say. I mean, what we do know, they produced in, in recent months this like locally preferred alternative. And that lays out um, that this is going to have three lanes going north and south and one auxiliary lane in both directions. And so those auxiliary lanes, I'm told, aren't going to be longer. They're like roughly half a mile long. But, you know, effectively... For a lot of people, that means four lanes on both sides. Um, there will also be navigable shoulders. So, I mean, I cross the bridge on a regular basis and they, they don't have shoulders currently. There's uh, So if you have any sort of fender bender, it really snarls traffic. So shoulders will also, that the widening to allow for shoulders is, is something that's also been discussed. And, and buses will also be allowed to use those shoulders too. Um, you know, both I think TriMet and C-Tran in Vancouver are, are becoming proponents of bus rapid transit. And that's something that they view these shoulders as being able to cross the buses pretty quickly across the bridge and, and, you know, use that to invite ridership. Um, do you then just call a shoulder a lane? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a good question for the planners. I think that I will, they I will ask the planners. that question. Yeah, I think that it's definitely, you know, I think in that context or that example, I was just using though, it wouldn't be, a lane that's usable by by traffic, by general single uh, occupancy vehicles, it would still be it would be dedicated or, or or more more exclusive to to buses in that in that sense. And then, what about the questions in terms of the design? Yeah, I mean that's good. I mean there are. I think the big question right now is like height is a big one, and the design. This isn't. This is more of an aesthetic thing, I think. But you know, some conversations around: Do we need this to be a single decker or a double decker, where like north goes one direction? Yeah, north is below south, or what have you. But the the bridge design is really the big question. Um, you know, the height right now requires it to have a lift, and I think that that's been one of the most biggest talking points among supporters of overhauling this bridge has been like. That lift is the only place between Canada and Mexico where I-5 effectively has a stoplight, you know, that that bridge lift. And so now there's, I think a lot of folks have held out hope that a new bridge will also mitigate the need for bridge lifts. And now, uh, but I can tell you right now that the conversations are still ongoing. I mean, the planners are still having to plan for a movable span is what they'll call it. They don't know how it's going to look. It could be very different than the one that we currently have, but right, they, they can't write off the idea of needing that. And that's because they're talking to the Coast Guard about the height of the bridge. They got to make sure that there's, um, right now, there's businesses on the, on the north side of the Columbia River, you know, on my side, that, are, that still use that, the Columbia River to, to transport rather large projects. And they need that, that lift they need clearance to get their projects through all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And, uh, you know, that's another option that the bridge planners are having to go through right now is like actually negotiating with those companies. Is this height, is X height acceptable for you or not? And then perhaps even, re, you know, it could be those projects, this project that helps relocate those business entirely. And I think that that's, those are going to be really interesting questions to see answered. You mentioned this in passing, but I want to dig deeper into it. There was very nearly a new I-5 bridge a decade ago, and then Republican lawmakers in Olympia killed what was then called the Columbia River Crossing because they didn't want max trains, light rail, going into Vancouver. Where does light rail stand right now? I mean, I can uh, I can say that that sentiment is still around. I mean, I was just 
the news on Friday of of this bill getting or this bridge getting six hundred million dollars certainly brought out a lot of people on social media in Southwest Washington who were willing to you know call light rail uh, too far. You know, it's going to bring in a lot of those same talking points that were raised the last time around. They're they're not they haven't gone away. But I can say that light rail is a big commitment by planners right now. Like they they are absolutely relying on it for a lot of these federal grants. I mean, there's one of these grants that they're coming up uh, called the Capital Investment Grant that has like light rail is a very important piece of that application. So going back to what we were talking about earlier, if planners are trying to recoup this $2.5 billion and they're really trying to make sure that they can get as much federal funding as possible, then light rail is actually a pretty important piece of that. So what is the timing as we know it at this point? So uh, I think the big milestones are federal grants coming in the next years. Uh, you know, it could very well be uh, next year. It could very well be uh, in. I don't want to put a deadline on it, but I'm hearing in a couple months we could be hearing about this uh, 1.5 billion dollar application and, and where does you know how much did they actually bring in on that one? And so we could be going through the exact same thing we did last week. And then after that, uh, or around that same time in the spring, we're uh, hearing that the draft supplemental environmental impact statement is coming out. And that is a big document that's going to shed a lot of light around what the bridge actually does look like. And in particular, it's going to give a lot of people who are, it's going to answer a lot of questions about the environmental impact of this of this program, um, which I think, yeah, a lot of folks are going to be very interested in, in seeing what that document looks like. And then in the long term, uh, officials are still optimistic that they can break ground in 2025. But they, you know, they'll say it might be December 31st, 2025, but it's that's what they're hoping for. <laughs> it still qualifies. Well, obviously, we will see. Troy, thanks very much. Thank you for having me. Troy Brendelson is OPB's Southwest Washington Bureau Chief. Here is a quick update on a conversation we had last week. You may have heard our conversation with the Portland Rescue Mission about the pair of golden Nike Air Jordans that were dropped off anonymously at their Burnside shelter. They were one of a handful of specially designed shoes that were made for Spike Lee when he went to the Oscars in 2019. The Sotheby's auction for them has closed. The gavel is down or whatever you call it. The sale price was $50,800. All that money is going to go back to the Portland Rescue Mission. 